Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. After the Second World War, the world was united in its condemnation of the Holocaust, the systematic murder of millions of Jews and others by the Nazis. The United Nations ultimately proclaimed January 27th as an annual Holocaust Remembrance Day to honor the memory of the victims, to condemn genocide, and to remind us that every generation must be reminded. That day was yesterday. Today, we want to be a part of that. Joining me in studio is Rachel Miller, a Holocaust survivor. Dan Rich is curator and director of education of the St. Louis Holocaust Museum and Learning Center. Thank you both so much for being with us. Nice to have you. It's good to be here. Rachel, a pleasure to meet you. Dan, I'll start with you. Uh, However, we talked before going on the air about how the memory of this period seems to be diminishing around the world. Isn't there a certain inevitability to this after 75 years? Well, I hope, no, that uh, the Holocaust will continue to be commemorated, but also significantly the lessons of the Holocaust will continue to resonate, and those are not bound by time. Laws are the lessons of not being a bystander, being very aware of what's going on around you, uh, being watchful, and uh, those those lessons are still very, very relevant today. But Rachel, as you had indicated, uh, you are aware that young people today in particular um, don't have memory or knowledge of that history. That is correct. About, what is it, about 30%? That's the figure I've seen, yeah. Yes. What do you make of that? I think it's pretty sad. It's history. It's something that has gone through for so many, so many years. I'm certainly one to talk about it. Um, I lost 93 people in the war. Mm. I've become their voice. It's important for me to talk about them so they are not forgotten. Mm. But not only the 93 people, I'm also talking about 23 million people that were murdered by such an intelligent, educated people. It is hard to believe that such a people would commit such atrocities during the day and go home at night, eat their meal, listen to music, and play with their children when a mile, well, less than a mile away, half a mile away, all these atrocities were going on. I understand exactly what you're saying, but it would seem to me that that is a memory that you would try very, very hard to erase, that the pain must be just too substantial. I did that for a long time, but about 22 or 23 years ago, I started going to the, I stopped working, and I came to the Holocaust Museum in St. Louis, and I became very interested in speaking, as a matter of fact, part of it, Dan was involved, and uh, it has become very important for me. As I get older, it is important for me to stand up and speak for them. They killed six million Jews, one and a half million were children. They killed gays, they killed uh, handicaps, they killed gypsies, 
They killed Jehovah Witnesses. They killed three million Russians. They killed and they killed and they killed just because he wanted a blue-eyed and blonde civilization. Can you imagine so many people committing these crimes? It is important for everyone to know what happened during World War II, and this is why I stand up and speak today. Tell us your story, if you will. Tell us what happened to you and your family. Well, um, my father, my parents came from Warsaw, Poland. Both of my grandmothers were living at the beginning of the war. Uh, my father came from a family of eight. My mother came from a family of 13. My father was a barber. They had a wonderful life in Poland. I had two brothers and a sister, but there was a lot of anti-Semitism. So he decided to move to France. And the reason he decided to move to France is because he had, they were very family-oriented, and he had a family in Paris, a brother and a sister, and my mother had two brothers. So they moved to France in 1932. It must have been pretty difficult for my mother because they lived in a very comfortable home in Warsaw, and now they were living in a two-room apartment with no running water. We did have a toilet. So this is before the ghetto. Before this is where, where before the ghetto. Sure. This is 1932. Right, sure. And Germany, uh, I mean, Hitler invaded Poland in 39. Yeah. So, um, and I was born in 1933. But all I can say is I have wonderful memories of my childhood. Of course, ni 1939, September 1st, I was sitting on the buffet, my father was cutting my hair, and I heard him say to my mother, it's beginning of doom. That was the day that Germany invaded Poland. Mm -hmm. It meant nothing to me. In 1940, Peter made a deal with Hitler that if he did not bomb us, they would welcome him in open arms. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they did. This I mean, is the, the Vichy government, right? The Vichy government. Yes. Very hypocritical, very hypocritical. Just to even say something, when they started picking up the Jews, the Germans did not want the young people under the age of 16. However, Marshal Pétain in Laval said, let them go with their family. This is just to tell you what kind of mentality these people have. So anyway, 1941, there was a roundup, and my father was taken away. And they came looking for my two brothers, but they didn't find them. My father's brother was also taken away, but my aunt, my father's sister's husband, who was French, who was born in France, and the Vichy government made a deal with Hitler that they were to protect the Jews they were to protect the French Jews, but they could take whatever else they wanted, but they were to leave the French Jews alone. But in those days, only people, rich people had telephones. Only in those days, people had cars. So we all lived within walking distance because we were a close family. So my uncle started walking towards our house, and he was stopped in the street, and I said, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to visit my family. 
drop your, what's your name? Salomon Yochevich, drop your pants. And because he was circumcised, he too was taken away on that day. And they were taken to, to a holding camp called Drancy, which is actually a place where my uncle was born. I don't know how my mother and my aunt got them out, but they did. They were taken to the hospital. Now there was an edict. They were taken to a Christian hospital. Now there was an edict. Only the French Jews could sit at that hospital. The other ones had to go to Rothschild. Went to see my father on December the 28th, 1941. I was so excited. He was coming home January 1st. As far as I was concerned, all our get-togethers would be back and everything was wonderful. Mm -hmm. My mother went to see him two days later. He told her that 10 o'clock in the morning, he had been injected with something, and he died in her mom's at 2 p.m. that afternoon. My uncle, who was at the Christian hospital, told my aunt the same thing. It took us a while to find out. They were both in, they were the first Jews to be experimented upon under the Nazi occupation. They were injected with gas. Things were terrible. School was coming to an end, and my mother said to me, Rachel, I'm going to send you, because that's really my name, not Rachel, Rachel in French. She says, I'm going to send you to the country. I was happy. I wanted to everything I had before. But most importantly, she was sending me away with the person I adored the most, my sister. She was my idol. And my best friend, Sabine. I mean, Cecile, pardon me. Sabine is my sister's name. However, my sister's birthday was July the 15th, and we were supposed to go away on the 13th. So my mother said, so my aunt promised my sister a handbag, so she decided to stay till the 18th. So Cecile and I went away. Before I went away, my mother said to me, Rachel, I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is Christine, and you're not allowed to tell anyone you're Jewish. The only one that will know that you're Jewish is the farmer where you're going, and your friend Cecile, because she wasn't Jewish. So I went away, and on the 18th, my sister was supposed to come, and I went to the bus. Instead, Cecile's mother got off the bus, and I asked where my family is, where my sister is, and she said she went shopping. Children had come up the night before and had spoken of how there was going to be this big raid and pick up the Jews. So I said, if you don't tell me what happened to my family, I'm going to run away to Paris. So she told me that on the 16th of July, hmm. they picked up my mother, my two brothers, and my sister. I was very angry at my mother. Why did she send me away? Why didn't she keep me with her? I was a child. I was nine years old. What was going to happen to me under an assumed no, no money, no everything? A few weeks later, I found out my aunt had gotten away, my father's sister, with her daughter. And when it would be, when things would quiet down, she would take me. And after that, I went to live with my aunt. But Every time there was a raid, every time there was something, we, I went to different <clears throat> hiding places. I was in pension, I was in a convent, I was almost baptized and had my first communion, <laughs> and my, the mother superior threw us out because my aunt would not allow us to, have, to be baptized and have first communion. And uh, 
this went on throughout the war, throughout the war, up and out, back and forth, back and forth. They kept taking these people. I saw a woman jumping out out of the window with her child because they didn't know whether they were being taken, what was happening to them. The war was coming to an end. July 6, 1944, a wonderful day, the invasion of Normandy between the British, Australians, and Americans. But it was still not the end. Till the very last day, they were picking up the Jews and sending them to these concentration camps. They didn't even have enough people to tattoo them. So many of them were never tattooed. Mm. They were never processed. And of course, I found out when the war was over that my family was murdered in Auschwitz. 93 members of your, of your family, is that correct? I do have, I have pictures of my family, which I was very fortunate at the age of nine years old when my aunt brought me back to the apartment when they were looting our things that I went and asked permission to get the pictures and I got the pictures, but I didn't take my doll. Mm. I took the pictures. Mm. So I'm very fortunate. And this is why I speak today. Well, I'm going to ask you to, to just hold your thoughts for a moment. I have to take a break. A uh, very powerful story, and we'll continue that when we come back. Uh, this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Now back to our conversation with Rachel Miller and Dan Rich, he of the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center here. Rachel, how old were you when you came to this country then? After Thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half. Did you have relatives here to come to? Or? No. A soldier found me in an orphanage. And he brought me to the United States. However, he molested me. And then he molested me when I came here. And um, I was in five different foster homes until I got married. So my world did not end when I came to the The, United States. It continued until I got married. The horror of of just existing. Exactly. Dan, let me come back to you. All stories are the same. And you're you're a collector of stories at the museum, needless to say. Um, How are young people reacting to when... You have a lot of them on audio still, I'm I'm, I'm sure. Survivor testimony. Survivor testimony. How do kids react to that, young people in general? You know... We have wonderfully trained docents to guide students and visitors through the museum. I might speak, but we can give the facts, we can tell the story. Nothing carries the weight of the survivor's story. From the survivor, we also have uh, second-generation children of survivors telling their parents' story. And that's the most moving, the most powerful portion of the visit. Do you work in the current narrative? I think back to the shooting in in Pittsburgh earlier this year and the fact that there is right-wing nationalism is rearing its head once again in Europe. I wonder if you're using this as part of your education. 
When things like that happen, when horrible things like that happen, we certainly interweave that. One portion of our museum is called Change Begins With Me. It's an interactive area that does include uh, an interactive board that does specifically talk about what happened in Pittsburgh, uh, what happened at the nightclub in Florida. Uh, unfortunately, there are many, many horrible things to draw upon. And again, that's part of the lessons of the Holocaust. The hope was, as you said, never again. Genocide has continued. Hate crimes have continued. Uh, actions based on bias, prejudice, and hate are still very much with us, and we convey that. We have to address that. Rachel, what, what goes through your mind with all of this? I'm particularly thinking about the, what's going on in Europe right now with regard to the, what some people are looking at as kind of a return to the, the bad old days, at least in, in some cases. Is. Yeah. It's frightening. Yeah. It's frightening. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I just don't know. It's unbelievable. I mean, when Elie Wiesel said never, never again. Knee Vieter, right? Pardon me? Knee Vieter? Yes. Yeah. It's hard, to, it's hard to believe that it's still going on. And never again is really an expression that should not be used because it's been going on for so long. I mean, genocide in, in the Congo. Rwanda, Cambodia, you, you can go of, on and on. All of these play, it's been going on for years, and now it's going, it's going back in Europe. There's and a, excuse me, please go on. No, go on. There's a thin line between pride in your country and a form of nationalism that implies superiority, and that's where some of the dangers can come in. Hmm. We're seeing a lot of that in Europe and around the world today. Why do you think we're seeing it? Why this resurgence? I know you don't want to get political. You're not political. <laughs> You're an educator, really, and a, a curator at the, at the museum. But do you have any thoughts about why this resurgence? You know, I, I wish I, if I had answers, I would, I would be yeah. willing to give them. Yeah. I don't know if it's fear of the other. I don't know if it's... Isn't it the economies? The economy playing a role, a sort of need to get ahead, feel one's falling behind, finding scapegoats or the need to blame others. It's sort of a, a lot of things going on. Uh, hard to pick out the exact reason, but... I think that technology has also done a great, and, uh, great deal of the evil. The media, etc. A great deal of evil. Social media. Because of the ability to communicate it's and the so, propaganda. It's instantaneous, absolutely. Yeah. It's instantaneous. That can be for the good, but it can also be used for, for negative purposes. I, we, we've all seen that. I had an experience where two young students, three young students, were soliciting hatred in their school. And the principal found out about it and called the Holocaust Museum and asked what they should do. Mm -hmm. So a person suggested that they come to the museum and they'll give him a tour and she called uh, Laurie Cohen um, called me up and said Rachel would you like uh, she started telling me the story about the kids talking about hatred and that the Holocaust never uh, happened so I said I'll do it and I came in and there were three young people 
One had their parents, and the principal is his wife. And I started to tell my story, but the thing that was very interesting is that when I came to the fact that they, Germans, wanted children from 16 on up to 40 because those were able to work. So I said to this young man, the instigator, I said to him, oh, you wouldn't have been able to go because you're too short. And the young man sitting next to him was shorter than him. And he stood up and he says, I'm taller than him. So I said to him, you would have been saved, aren't you lucky? Mm. And after that, after that, they actually began to understand about the Holocaust, believe it or not. And the principal was absolutely so happy that I had shown them what, fe what fear is, mm. what fear is. But Dan, this whole Holocaust denial thing is extraordinarily disturbing. Uh, Very much. Particularly when we do have the ability to communicate today, but uh, there are so many people who are spreading that word. You know, with Rachel's story of the young students, they clearly were coming from a place of lack of knowledge. Mm. And her story also shows that a visit to the museum can really turn someone around, can really be a life-changing experience. Holocaust denial, we were talking about this earlier. People who deny the Holocaust have another agenda. At Nuremberg, the perpetrators did not deny the Holocaust. They may have said they had no choice, they were following orders. None of them said it didn't happen. And at Nuremberg, their own photographs and documents were used against them. So for people now to say the Holocaust didn't happen, it's because of anti-Semitism, it's because of anti-Israel sentiment, but they're being blind to history. What's more insidious is Holocaust minimalization. And then you don't know if it's coming from a place of you know, political reasons or another agenda or ignorance. Well, it happened, but maybe the numbers have been exaggerated. It happened, but it wasn't so bad. It, you know, and that's, that's more insidious. Now that, as the case with Rachel, that can be remedied with correct information. Mm -hmm. But as time goes on, there's more and more of that, and it is concerning. Rachel, how often do you go out? I know you're having an event tomorrow night, I guess, is it St. Louis County Library that Headquarters on Lindbergh. Yes. That's uh, from 6 to 8 o'clock. How often do you do that, and what's the response generally to it? Uh, you, I would have to say it's pretty good, mm -hmm. very effective and pretty good. Uh, this particular one, the story about these two young men, this is the first time that I actually felt a lot of satisfaction when I, w when I went home. But it is difficult for me to go through the horrors to tell my story at different times. It's painful to remember. So I have, to tell, I have to talk to myself and say, you have to do this. It's important. Mm. And the results are really, for the most part, I would have to say for 99.9%, .9 very, very successful mm. and very important. Mm. Dan, I'm under the impression that we have a relatively large community here in St. Louis of Holocaust survivors. Am I wrong on that? Uh, well, it depends <laughs> what you mean. Uh, they're actually, we estimate there are about 
close to about 300 survivors yeah. here. That many? 300 yeah. or so, including Russian survivors. Oh, right. Uh, unfortunately, with the course of nature, we've lost a sure. significant number of our survivors, which is why we treasure the survivors we still have. As I mentioned, we have been uh, having children of survivors tell their parents' story, and that can be very effective. <clears throat> it's not quite the same as that first-person voice. We do have an oral history project, so we do have our survivors on tape. Uh, but it's still good to have the actual voice. When Rachel again, speaks, it's just so clearly But then so again, powerful. as time goes on, today with digital, digital uh, technology, you can put somebody else's face and change everything. Mm. So it's going to be very difficult as time goes on to actually keep all these stories the way they are. The history, I shouldn't say stories, the history of all of us that have told our history, that have gone through. Holocaust education will meet this challenge, but it is going to be a challenge. Yeah. It would seem to me that it would be effective, not nearly as effective as having the parent, uh, 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 the parent who was a Holocaust victim, having the children there, because they can just say, I wouldn't be here if my parent had not survived. Exactly. Think how many tens of millions of exactly. children were never born. The cure for cancer, perhaps, was right. lost on the smoke of Auschwitz or Dachau or some of the other places. One of our listeners uh, has a question here uh, via Twitter. How should Americans respond to disturbing scenes of white supremacist rallies like Charlottesville? How do we prevent this hatred and respond to it and end to it? Well, that's the $64 question. But Rachel, why don't you tell us, how should we respond to these uh, events? I really don't don't know. I will be political if I answer that. I'll leave it to Dan. <laughs> you can express your views. Well, uh, it's important going back to, to our pre president, <laughs> I think he has, in my opinion, given permission and license to all the supremacists all these hidden whatnots from under, the, from under the floor to come out and do whatever they want to do and whatever they want to say. And this is one of the things I do not like about our president. And I'm very, very, very upset that it's still going on. We only have a couple of minutes left. What's also disturbing, if this, in fact, if what you say is, is something obviously you believe in, he's got a lot of support. I know he does. I know he does. He has, he, my son, for example, supports him very, very strongly. We well, can't discuss politics. That's quite a surprise. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that, having heard your story, and he certainly has. Dan? It does seem that uh, people do feel that a couple of years ago, now they feel free to express things they would not have expressed a couple of years ago. Some people think in a weird way that's positive because they were there. Now we know who they are. Now we can't pretend anti-Semitism wasn't around and prejudice wasn't around. It was there. People were too polite to bring it out. Now we see it. Now we have to deal with it been emboldened. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's got a very strong base. Yeah, he does, and it's uh, it seems to be diminishing somewhat right now. But uh, who knows? Uh, I, I in think these political cycles. Well, you know, I'm not sure that we should sit here and 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 cast those kinds of aspersions. I guess because other people have different opinions. But exactly. yours, yours, yours is certainly yours and Dan's are certainly ones that uh, we we do hear about. Okay, well, we're going to have to wrap it up. I'm sorry to say I wish we could talk longer because we're starting to get some phone calls. But let's remind folks once again, Rachel, that you're going to be uh, appearing at the uh, St. Louis County Library headquarters on Lindbergh tomorrow night from 6 to 8 o'clock. That's correct. And that'll be a, a great presentation, I'm sure. And, Dan, very quickly, in just a few seconds, what else can people find at that uh, museum of yours? And come visit our museum. <coughs> Excuse me. We're lucky to be one of uh, 20-something cities that have a Holocaust museum. You can learn about the Holocaust. You can hear the voice of a survivor. Please come visit. We're fortunate to have this as a resource in our community. We are are indeed. And And it's it's free. free. Okay, thank you both so much. Uh, Rachel Miller, thank you so much for sharing your story. Good luck to you. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Dan Richard, the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center. Thank you so much for being with us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.